We are in week six of Smart Home, and uh, this has been a, a fun series. It's been a difficult series in some ways. It's been an exciting series. God's been doing some really, really unique things, and um, I think he's going to continue to do that today, this week, here in week six. How many of you are ready for Valentine's Day? All right, we got a couple. Some of you just panicked. You're like, oh, man, you're welcome. Just a last-minute reminder, fellas, tomorrow is Valentine's Day, but it's also a day that some would call Single Awareness Day. And if that applies to you, then your response to that question just a second ago is completely different. But the reason I say that is because I want to speak to you today. I want to have a conversation with you today. You maybe fall into that single category. I've had several people ask me over the last several weeks, they've been like, hey, Wes, I know that the first word in the tagline of this series says single, but how is this going to apply to singles? And I said, just, just wait for it. Um, there's going to be moments throughout the whole series, but we're going to spend an entire time today. And it applies to not just the one who is single, uh, but also to the church and our responsibility in this and our, our opportunity to be the family that God has called us to be. Let me have an all-skate moment here for everybody, okay? I'm going to ask you to raise your hand. How many of you are currently married? If you're watching online, you can do a little wave in the chat box. All right, all right, awesome. we got a lot of married people in the room today. How many of you are not married? Raise your hand. All right, awesome. we got a lot of hands going up in the room, not married. Um, let, me, let me go a little further on that. How many of you are not married but would like to meet that special someone sometime soon? Just put your hand up. Maybe leave it up a little bit longer than you did a minute ago and just look around, all right? And listen, if something works out, you know, if you just made eye contact with somebody and this, this works out long term, just, just name your firstborn after me, okay? And then we'll just call it, we'll call it even. How many of you are married to the one that you thought was the one and now you're four, five, six, seven years in and you're ready for a trade? No, 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 don't raise your hand for that. We're not, we're not going to go there uh, this morning. But I do want us to talk about the smart single. That's the title of today's message, is the smart single. How to live as a smart single individual, man or woman. And I got to say as we kind of run into this, that I, I think there's this unintentional consequence that we find ourselves in as church leadership sometimes, not just here at Community Faith, but across the world where we unintentionally make someone who's not in a committed, married relationship feel like maybe they're at a JV level of faith. Because we can spend so much time and energy talking about marriage and all the dynamics of marriage and relationships and even dating that we dismiss and maybe forget to spend any time talking about what it looks like to live life as a smart single. And so we're going we're gonna to dive into this today. And we're going to have some fun with it, and I think God's going to do some strong work in all of us, whether you're single or married. And I want us to look at three things. I want us to recognize three things that singleness is not. Singleness is not desperation. Singleness is not waiting. And singleness is not disqualifying. And we're going to unpack those three things today and decide what it actually is in relation to understanding those. But did you know that the current generation, the current generation of young people that are coming up right now are staying single longer than any generation in American history. The average age for a woman to get married for the very first time today is 30 years old. 
I mean, I remember talking to my grandparents, and they were getting married in their teens. And that scares me to death as I think about my boys becoming teenagers in just the next year or two. The average age for men in today's culture in America is, actually, I got that backwards. Men is 30, women is 28. So men are getting married at 30 years old, and women are getting married at 28 years old. And I read this week that by the time today's youngest generation, the generation that's coming up as teenagers right now, by the time they reach 50 years old, 25% of them will have remained single for their entire lives. Now, there's a lot of different reasons for that. But to better understand what we can uh, learn in this and, and the value of this, I want us to unpack and look at what Scripture says about the idea of being single. And I want to start in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, starting in verse 7. This is Paul writing. Now, remember, Paul is single. Paul never got married. There's no, there's no uh, proof, there's no evidence, no historical evidence that says that Paul ever got married. There's really not any evidence of him even being in any kind of romantic dating relationship. Dating is actually something that's unique to American culture. It's not something that has, last, that has gone on for centuries or anything like that. It's really something that's become common in the last 100 or 200 years in America. But Paul is writing this, and he's writing this to new followers of Jesus in Corinth. And he says this, Yet I wish that all were even as I myself am. What is he? He is single. But he has just been talking about some of the dynamics for a married couple. For a man and a woman who have been married, he's just been talking about some of that. And then he kind of takes a turn. He, he takes a different route. And he says, I wish that there were more even like me who were single. He says, however, each has his own gift from God. And so he's talking about being single. And then he begins to talk about gift from God. One in this way and another in that. What he's saying is, is there's a gift that comes from God and that gift is called singleness. But there's also a gift from God and that is called being married. So he's been talking about marriage, now he's talking about singleness and he's describing singleness as a gift. And I know what some of you are thinking because there are some of you in the room today and you're thinking, my goodness, there is no way singleness is a gift. Virus maybe, but gift absolutely not. Because you feel like maybe you've caught something. You've caught this disease called single. Because you so badly want to be in a relationship. You want to find that person that you're going to spend the rest of your life with. You get the questions all the time. You know you're getting older. You, you, maybe you need to settle down and find someone. And you begin to have these, these thoughts and these conversations about being married. About finding a specific relationship. Or you hear people say, oh, bless your heart. <laughs> and those are the kind of comments that make you want to, you know, do really bad things. You know, like slash your tires in the church parking lot. You're like, I don't even care that I'm at church. I can't believe they said that to me. But Paul is describing it as something else. He's saying that it is a gift. Now, why in the world would God give a gift of singleness? Listen, God doesn't give bad gifts to his children. He only gives good gifts. Paul would say, this is good. This is valuable. Why? Well, if you jump down to verse 35, look what he says. Talking about singleness, he says, I say this for your own benefit. Again, this is a gift. This is good for you. God is doing something good for you, not to put a restraint on you. Now, that word restraint, he's, what he's talking about is not to put something to, to tie you up, to hold you back, to pull you back. He's not doing something to be cruel to you. He's not trying to restrain you from the life that you desire. He's saying there's something beneficial in this. Well, what, what's the benefit of being single? 
He says, but to promote what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That's the benefit. Undistracted devotion to the Lord. He's not trying to hold you back. He's not trying to rob you of joy in your life. He's not trying to wreck you. He's trying to promote something. He's trying to promote undistracted devotion in your life. He continues on. If you go back to verse 32, I read verse 35 because I think it helps us understand fully what he's talking about. But let's go back to verse 32 and look what he says. But I want you to be free from concern. I know there's things that you listened to, that you heard, that you saw this week that were concerning to you. Even in the relationships that you find yourself in. Paul is saying, I want you to be free from concern. You find freedom from some of this concern that Paul is talking about by living as a single person. One who is unmarried is concerned about the things of the Lord, how he may please the Lord. But the one who is married is concerned about the things of the world, how he may please his wife, and his interests are divided. He's saying that when you're married, your, your, your attention is divided in different ways. Your attention is going in different places. And then he continues on in the next verse, in verse 34, for the sake of time. I just didn't put it up here, but he says the same thing to the wives that he just said to the husbands. He's saying there's a division in your attention. Your focus is on two different things. And we know that to be true, but the first thing I want us to see that singleness is not, is that singleness is not desperation, it is devotion. That's what Paul's talking about. He's talking about devotion. See, singleness is not living in this desperation of finding someone, it is living in devotion to the one, the one being Jesus. That's what Paul is talking about. And so often I think we get stuck in this struggle of like, I just need to find the, the special someone and then my life will be complete because we look at relationships, we look at dating, we look at marriage and having a family one day as being the ultimate in life. That is the goal. And if I can just achieve that, if I can just find that, if I can just experience that, then I'll live the life and I'll experience everything God wants for me. But what Paul is saying is he's saying, no, 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 listen, there is definitely a gift in marriage. And there is value in marriage. There is a benefit in marriage. But to be single doesn't mean you're being robbed from something good. In fact, it's actually a gift. And God doesn't give bad gifts. But he's saying when you find yourself single, you can focus your attention solely on your devotion. Devotion to what? To God. Because listen, if you're married, your attention is being directed in different places. It's a struggle to be devoted in the same way that you are when you're single. Some of you are here today and you are single. Or maybe you're even in a relationship with someone. It's more of a dating relationship. You're not married to them. But it has an impact on you. It's beginning to distract you. But even if you're sitting here today and you're single or you're watching online and you are single, you're not even in a dating relationship. You thought about some things today, this morning, that I didn't think about. You thought a little bit differently about maybe the way that you were dressed. You thought a little bit differently about where you were going to go today, how you were going to spend your time what you are going to uh, do after church today. Maybe even in here, you were sitting here as you walked in and you noticed someone. And immediately you noticed there wasn't a ring on his finger and he wasn't sitting with anybody else. And it began to influence 
everything you did in the last few moments as you were singing. You're normally like maybe a hand raiser and you're like, well, I, should I put my hands up? Because if I put my hands up, is he going to think I'm a little bit too fanatical about all this? So you start thinking, you're like, oh, I've got some concerns about this. And, and then, you know, I started reading scripture. You're like, well, should I pull my Bible out so I look like I'm really into this? Or do I just read it off my phone so it doesn't look like I'm too extreme? And in a little bit, we're going to pray. We're going to have volunteers down here to let you come pray with people. And you're like, oh, maybe if I go down there and I pray, he's going to think that that's attractive and something that would be valuable to him. Or maybe I need to go a whole another step further and become a part of the prayer team. Because then it'll be like, oh, that's the one that I want. That is the one that I'm looking for. Do you see this happening? It's a distraction. And it distracts us from our devotion to God and what he wants to do in our lives. This is what Paul is talking about. And when you get married, it just gets worse. Because there are things that happen in marriage. There are things that concern you. There are things that cause conflict and frustration that distract you from your devotion to God. Fellas, she used to think your snoring was cute. Now it drives her crazy. It's the most annoying thing you do. Ladies, he used to tolerate the backseat driving. And now he doesn't tolerate it so well. It turns into full-blown arguments. I read this week that backseat driving actually causes men to snore. <laughs> and I think that might be the most valuable thing that we could hear today. And so I'm just going to close right there and say, God, thank you for today. Amen. You can go enjoy the rest of your weekend. Marriage creates trouble. There's a struggle in marriage. We, we all know that. We've seen that, we've experienced that, even if we're not married, we recognize that to be true. Paul is saying, I have been freed up to devote time to the things that I wouldn't be able to devote my time to because I am single. There's value in that, there's a gift in that. The religious elite in the days of Jesus came to Jesus and they said, Jesus, we need to know the, the one thing that is most critical. Like if it all, everything in this life comes down to one thing that you want us to know, what would that be? And Jesus responds in Matthew chapter 22. Look at what he says. It says, and Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. And then he continues on. This is the great and foremost commandment. The second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. The first part of that passage, maybe you recognize from week three of this series when we were talking about parenting. It comes all the way from the book of Deuteronomy in the beginning of the Old Testament. Jesus responds and he's saying everything in life comes down to this. And so in the context that we're talking about today, before you jump into a relationship, before you think about a romantic dating relationship, I wonder if this would be the thing that everything comes down to because I think this is what Paul's talking about. He says, Jesus says first, love the Lord your God with everything. This is full-blown attention. This is uh, not divided attention. This is all of your attention devoted to your heavenly father. Everything about you is focused there. And then when you focus everything that you have there and your devotion is all there, then God does something. He begins to shape something in you. And then the second part of the commandment becomes possible because then you're able to actually love people as you love yourself. I think sometimes we miss what Jesus is talking about in this. It's real easy for us to think, okay, I just need to treat people the way that I want to be treated. Well, that's not really what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, love others, love your neighbor as you love yourself. In other words, it is impossible to love someone else until you love yourself. You're like, well, that sounds a little bit arrogant. No, but it's not. Because what, you're, what he's talking about is as you fall into a full, 100% committed devotion to your heavenly father, 
then he begins to show you your value. He begins to show you your worth. You begin to find security in who he says you are and who he's created you to be. And you begin to live in that. And so then you are able to have the capacity to love other people's Love other people without the desire of feeling loved yourself. There's not this selfishness in the way that you love. Because you found your worth and your value in something else. You found your worth and value in something that is ultimate. And that is your heavenly father. And not some man or some woman that you're looking to to try to find that worth and that value and that security. This is what Paul is talking about. We often look to marriage. We look, look to relationships to feel this, to experience this. And in order to love well, we have to experience that kind of love, and that love only comes from our Heavenly Father. You see, I think every single one of us desire to love people well, whether, whether you're single or married, uh, single forever. I mean, there, there, is, there is value in that. Some of us, some of you, you are here today, and you're like, man, I don't have any desire to ever get married. Like, I am fully content to be single for my entire life. And I would just tell you, that is an incredible, amazing gift from God that he would give you that gift. Because I promise you, he wants to leverage that for something strong. To make a difference and an influence in this world. We'll talk about that here in just a second. But here's what I know is true. And I think this is what Paul would want us to know, is that you and I cannot love well. You and I cannot bring life for someone else if we've not experienced it ourselves. And the only way to experience that kind of life, that kind of love, is to actually know the source, to have devotion for the source of that love, of that life. I've told you this story before, but I want to circle back to it because it's just always made sense for me. When I was growing up, I was in high school. Uh, I grew up in West Texas where it doesn't rain much. It rains like three inches a year. So there's not a lot of water. And we were out at this farm helping plant uh, some kind of plant. I don't remember what it was. I can't believe the farmer actually trusted us to plant his crops for him, but he did. It was bizarre. But during our lunch break, we we're sitting around this big irrigation pond, me and some of my friends. And as we're sitting there, fascinated by water, because we didn't see water very much, we're like, what is that? You know? We're eating our sandwiches, and one of my buddies says, hey, uh, anybody want to swim across this? And I said, absolutely not. And then one of the girls that was there says, I will. And I was like, oh, shoot, man, I'm going to have to swim because if she's going to do it, then I got to do it. So me and another guy, as they kind of started to swim, uh, me and this other guy named Victor, we said, all right, let's start swimming. Now we're wearing like jeans. We're not, we're not dressed for swimming. And I looked at him. I said, are you a good swimmer? He goes, yeah, man, I got this. It's not that far. I was like, okay, let's go. So we start swimming. And I'm not, I'm not kidding. We literally were in the middle of the pond. And I looked over at him because I just noticed something wasn't right. And as I looked over at him, there was this face of panic. And I realized that he wasn't going to be able to swim all the way to the other side. And I asked him, I said, hey, man, are you okay? And he, he just, he couldn't even answer me. He just started to panic. And in a moment of desperation, as he started to lose the thing that gave him life, he began to try to rob me of life. Because in his panic, he grabbed me. And it became this wrestling match in the water of trying to just survive. You see, it was in his desperation that he began to cause some destruction. Listen, where there is scarcity, there will always be desperation. And where there is desperation, there is exploitation. Running after something for selfish gain. Now, did Victor like me? Did he care about me? Absolutely. But there was scarcity in that moment. And all of a sudden, instead of trying to give life, he began someone who was willing to take life because he didn't have what he needed to live. I think sometimes we fall into that same trap. 
We live in this cycle of trying to find life, trying to find acceptance. We look to our boss for affirmation. We look to social media so that we'll feel good about ourselves when we look in the mirror. And this is for married and single. We look to some man for just something to make us feel confident in ourselves. We look to some woman to make us feel complete. And what happens is, is in our desperation, we all have a tendency to become a taker of life rather than a source of life. What the Bible says is that you and I need a source in order to be a source. You want to be a source of life and love in this world, then you and I need to get to know this one named Jesus. Singleness is not waiting on is not waiting in desperation for that special someone. It is time to cultivate an undistracted devotion to Jesus. Don't waste it. Don't waste your singleness. It's a gift from God. Don't miss out on the benefit of that. The passage continues. If you go back up, I'm going backwards in this. And this is really making some of you upset because you're like, you don't go backwards, Wes. It's in chronological order on purpose. But just go with me. Paul says this. But this I say, brothers, the time has been shortened so that from now on, those who have wives should be as those, they, those as though they had none. And those who weep as though they did not weep. And those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice. And those who buy as though they did not possess. And those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it. For the present form of this world is passing away. Paul is continuing to press into this value of being single, whether for a season or for an entire life. In your singleness, you have two incredibly valuable things, time and freedom. That's what Paul is talking about in this passage. It shows us the second thing that singleness is not. Singleness is not waiting, it is doing. I think oftentimes we find ourselves in a place where we're waiting for that special somewhere. We're waiting for that relationship. And when we find that relationship, then we'll get to carry on with what God wants to do in our lives and everything he wants to do through our lives. But what Paul is saying in verse 29 is he's saying that time is shortened. Not only does God want to stir and cultivate an undistracted devotion to him in your singleness, but he wants you to find something even more important than finding the right person. He wants you to find a purpose for living. And he is empowering you and calling you to act on that today in your singleness. Why? Because you and I, as we begin to trust Jesus, he is calling us to live on mission. Nobody would argue with me today when I say that the world is broken. There's a lot of chaos, there's a lot of dysfunction, a lot of darkness that you and I have felt, that you and I have even contributed to. It's true and it's all around us. We look at ourselves and we're not everything maybe we hoped to be, not everything we desired to be at some point in our lives back in the day. There's some disappointment in ourselves and in other people. What's interesting is that God sees this and God doesn't just dismiss it. It's not like God just says, hey, it's going to be okay. You're fine. Come on. We're good. We're good. No, God is a God that is just. And so we had a plan. And he came after us. He pursued us when everything wasn't right because there was a penalty for yours and mine's brokenness. Justice was necessary. He pursued us. He came after you. He came after me by sending his son, Jesus. It's why we remember communion just a minute ago. He didn't come after us to condemn us or make us feel ashamed. He came at us to set us 
forward on a new hope to set us free from some of the things that have imprisoned us in our lives. He arrived and he came after us to purchase us back. That's why he sent Jesus. And then Jesus arrived and he lived a perfect life. One that, by the way, you and I are incapable of doing on our own. Only to eventually die the death that you and I deserved. But death didn't have the final say because Jesus walked out of that grave. Why? So that you and I could trust him. So that we could walk in relationship with him. And that we could lay our, our lives down for him so that he could begin to create and cultivate something new in us. That is the gospel message of Jesus. Jesus did what you and I couldn't do in our place. That's the transformation that takes place in our lives. We were once alienated from God and Jesus did everything necessary to bridge the gap between you and me and our Heavenly Father. And here's what happens is when we begin to step into that, when we begin to trust that, then he wants to send us on mission to bring that life into the rest of the world. God says, I want to adopt you into my family. I want to take you out of the chaos of this world and I want to plant you in the kingdom of Jesus. And something comes alive in us. A passion begins to stir up in us. That's the most ultimate story that you could ever live with your life. And this is what Paul is talking about. He's saying that you and I have been called to participate in building this kingdom, not for our glory, not for the glory of community of faith, but for the glory of our King Jesus. But it's important what he's saying. He's saying that time is running out. At some point, God is going to decide that it's time. Time has run out. And those who know him and trust him will be able to spend eternity with him. And those who don't know him and don't trust him will not be able to spend eternity with him. And here you and I find ourselves, married and single, in this moment in history with time running out. Time left on the play clock influences the way you play the game. And we don't always get it right. Just ask Dak Prescott and the Dallas Cowboys. <laughs> but do you understand what I'm saying? Which, by the way, I have a passionate Cowboys fan in my house who is still devastated by that football game. But I'm like, dude, you chose the Cowboys. You should have known better. <laughs> this is the way it always ends up. Time is running out. And there's less time today than there was yesterday. And what Paul wants us to see is that there is a value in being single because family will rob you of some time. And it's not robbing you to, 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 to give you something bad. There is the gift of marriage just as much as there's the gift of singleness. But what he's saying, he's saying your time and your energy and everything that you do is going to be pulled in different directions. And so the value of being single is that you can live on mission, fully sold out for all that God is calling you to do. And maybe it's just for a season, but it's an opportunity to trust him and to make his name famous in the entire world. Being single doesn't mean you're at this sub-level of Christianity. I would say you actually have opportunity to maybe even make greater impact in the world because of the gift of singleness in your life. There's so much value in that. So I just want to encourage you to the single today. Leverage the gift of singleness in the world around you. Begin to live on mission. To step out of your comfort zone. 
to not waste your time. I read this week that the average young adult is going to spend 10,000 hours playing video games in their lifetime. 10,000 hours. What would it look like to begin to reassign some of our time to live on purpose? You have greater opportunity to do that as a single than you do as a married. And don't miss this. Paul was single, Peter was married, and both of them were incredible ambassadors for the kingdom of Jesus. So you can do this in both arenas. But there's something valuable about being single. And you're like, but Wes, I really want to be with somebody. Listen, you focus on your devotion to God and living out the plan and purpose in your life that he has created you for. And there may be a time in history down the road where he begins to line you up alongside someone else who is running in the same direction that you are running. And you're going to be running and all of a sudden you're going to look over and you're going to be like, oh, wow, she's, she's cute. You're going to look over and you're going to be like, oh, he's, he's, he's handsome. And as you're running in the same direction, you're going to begin to find this attraction and this relationship is going to come together so much easier because you're already going in the same direction. But it might take some time. So don't get stuck in the desperation. Trust him. Abraham, all the way back in Genesis, decided it was time to find a wife for his son. And so he sends his servant out to go find a spouse. He says, hey, I need you to go out as far as you can. Go out and find a spouse for my son. And the servant goes out 500 miles to find his son, to find his son's spouse. Listen, you may have to go 500 miles and then 500 more. And then you'll walk 1,000 miles and fall down at her door. It might take some time. But don't give up. Stay focused on your heavenly father. Stay focused on the mission that he's called you to. Singleness is not waiting on God for someone that's going to make your life complete. It's not a season of waiting unintentionally. It is doing what God has called you to do. Now, before I land our time together today, I want to talk about one more thing. And I was thinking about this this week, and really my, my heart grew heavy. And even, even now, I, just, I, I think I hurt today for some because there's, there are those who are single, and, and we may be single for decades of our life before we fall into a relationship or uh, find that special someone to spend the rest of our life with, or at least a big portion of our life together. Some are going to be single forever and have chosen that, and there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. God wants to do incredible things, but there are some here today that you find yourself single again. And that's difficult. Because you find yourself in a place of being single due to some kind of loss in your life. And I was thinking about this on Friday. I was like, man, Valentine's Day is going to be different for some people this year. Because there's been some death in our world. You've experienced some of that. Someone dear to you has been lost. And you find yourself in a place of pain, some frustration, some confusion, some discouragement. Maybe it wasn't death, but maybe it's divorce. Loss. There's grief, there's pain, and you find yourself being single as a result of it. And I know that when I say the, say the word divorce, it leaves us in a lot of different places. For some here today, you hear the word divorce and you immediately begin to feel some kind of shame, some kind of guilt. Your hands are getting sweaty because you're like, man, what is Wes about to, what is he about to say? What is he about to make me do? If he makes me raise my hand, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go slash his tires. Um, but you find yourself in that place. Or maybe you're in the, the other place where maybe you are more of the victim of the divorce, of the breakup of the relationship. 
And so you're sitting there and you are holding in resentment or bitterness. You've got anger that you're still experiencing or feeling towards that someone. And maybe that person is sitting across the room. And right now you're thinking in your head, Wes, I, I hope you bring all hellfire and brimstone down right now just for him or just for her. You're like, man, he needs to know. Or maybe you're like me. And you find yourself in a place where you've been impacted by divorce. Because it happened in your home when you were growing up. It happened with your parents. And when it happens to your parents, it impacts you. It shapes something in us. When I was 20 years old, my parents decided that the relationship, it was time for that to end. It was a difficult time for me. And listen, I love my parents. I've walked through a lot of that baggage that I decided to kind of take on, on my shoulders and try to carry on purpose. And it was gross, it was dysfunctional, it was ugly. But I read this week that the most devastating impact of divorce doesn't happen to people when they're children. It actually happens when they're in their 20s because that's when they begin to reflect back. And they begin to think about who they are. They begin to think about what does this mean for their lives. And they begin to think, uh, what is this uh, going to do for me and my relationships? Am I going to be able to break the pattern? Am I going to be able to break the cycle in my family? And we begin to doubt ourselves. We begin to struggle with reconciliation of all that took place in the family dynamic. And maybe you find yourself in that place this morning, you're beginning to ask these questions. Does God even like me? What does God think about me? What do people think about me? Is there a future that I can look toward with hope? Will I ever be free from some of the feelings and the emotions that I'm experiencing as I'm living out the reality of being single again due to some kind of loss? If you're here today and you find yourself in that category, I want to say loudly and clearly that God loves you. And yes, there is hope for your future. There is still a plan for you. God still has a purpose for your life. It's why there's breath in your lungs this morning. I think back to the story of the woman at the well. Jesus shows up in the middle of the day, which was not a time that you went to the well to draw water. And so this woman goes there assuming there's not going to be anybody there. But Jesus, because he loved her unconditionally, he pursued her by going to the well when he knew she would be at the well. And he begins to have a conversation with her. And he says to her, hey, go call your husband. And she says, I, I, don't, I don't have a husband. And Jesus says, you're right. You've had five. And now you're living with one who's not even your husband. And it had to be a little bit of an awkward moment with this woman and with Jesus. But what I love about Jesus' response is he doesn't look at her and begin to talk to her with some kind of disgust or shame or, hey, here's three principles on how to live the best single life. He begins to dialogue with her. He begins to say to her, if you knew who you were talking to right now, then you would ask me to help you understand your worth, your value, the life that, that I want to give you. Because that's what Jesus desires. And then he goes on in the conversation, he basically begins to tell her, listen, I, I have a life for you that won't just satisfy your soul. You'll begin to experience life in me that will begin to spill out into the lives of other people. As you experience life, being connected to the source of life, then you'll begin to share that life and bring that life to the lives of people around you. And I think as I reflect on that story, I believe that Jesus is the remedy for those who maybe find themselves in a place today of being single again. Struggling with what to do as you navigate through this season of loss. 
I love what Paul says in this last verse we'll look at today in Philippians chapter 3. Paul, in the same kind of context, he's saying, not that I have already grasped it all or have already become perfect, but I press on if I may also take hold of that for which I was even taken hold of by Christ Jesus. And then he says this, watch this. Brothers and sisters, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Here's what I think this means for so many today. It means that singleness is not disqualifying, it's actually healing. You see, I think sometimes we get stuck into this place when we walk through a season of loss and we begin to think that God is finished with us or God doesn't have any use for us. How am I going to recover? How am I going to live in a way that, that is going to make me feel any kind of life in the rest of my days? And I think this gives us hope. What Paul is saying, he's saying there's, there is an opportunity and a time to look behind us. And I think, listen, there, there's a time and a season for grieving. And so to the optimist this morning, I would say, hey, you need to take some time to grieve the loss, whatever that loss was. But you don't have to stay there. And to the pessimist, I would even say, you don't have to get stuck in the grief forever. You can move forward. You can begin to grieve the loss of your past as you begin to look forward and heal in order to experience the potential of your future. That's what Paul is saying to us today. That's what he's saying to you today. You find yourself in this place where you're single again. But here's, what, here's, here's where I want to land this, and I want us to see this today, every single one of us today, single or married. The response that Jesus has for the woman at the well, I believe, is the response that the church is called to have for those that have found themselves in this place of loss, whether it's divorce, death, some sort of poor decision, whatever it was, whether it was your fault or someone else's fault, I believe that God is calling us as a church to step into this. 50% of all marriages end in divorce. Two-thirds of second, third, and fourth marriages end in divorce. What that tells me is that there's a significant group of people who are walking through some of this grief, dealing with some of this loss, some of this hurt, some of this pain, maybe walking through some bitterness, some frustration because of what they've experienced. And I think this is where the church is called to run into the burning building to help rescue the lives of those that they are tasked with rescuing. This is what God has called us to. He's called us to bring life as we understand the source of life. I'll close with this. I, I love to sing. That might be bizarre for some of you because you've never heard me sing. And that's probably a good thing. Um, but I come from a family, my mom, she sang all the time growing up. So much so that there were times where like, mom, stop. I mean, we'd be driving down the road in the car, she's singing Mariah Carey, just like Mariah Carey. Right, yeah, not really. She has a good voice. My dad used to play guitar. When I went to college, every single one of my roommates played guitar. And so I decided I wanted to try to play guitar. I played drums growing up. I even led worship back in the day in my very first ministry job. I was desperate for some sort of music element in our student ministry. Nobody else was doing it. I was like, man, give me a microphone, give me a guitar, and we'll start singing some songs. And it was terrible. But why I say that today is because there's been times where I've actually started singing in front of my friends. And they've said something like, wow, Wes, um, kind of, you know, shake their head a little bit, don't really know what to do. I still love them. I still care about them. But I don't sing in front of them anymore. Because I don't like the way that that makes me feel. 
And so what I do is I just kind of push that down. I just kind of hold that back. But I have other friends that have heard me sing. And they know that I'm no good at it. And so they just turn the volume up. But it's in that moment that I feel the freedom to let that out. I feel the freedom to sing. It's why I like that the music is so loud in this place, because you can't hear me, and I can sing as loud as I want to. I get to allow the song to continue to come up out of me. And the reason I say that today is because we live in a world that is working really, really hard, putting a lot of energy and effort to keep that song pushed back, to keep that song held back in your life. And I think what we are called as the church is that we would be a group of people who are known for putting our arms around people, for throwing our arms around people that are walking through hurt, pain, disappointment, bitterness, any struggle that's going on in their lives, putting our arms around them and saying, listen, you're not forgotten and you can still sing. Some of us continue to push that song down, continue to hold that back. And I think as a church, as a family of faith, we're called to say, hey, listen, you can keep singing. And I know that you might be a little bit off key. I know that maybe you're a little bit tone deaf and it may not sound great at first. I know that you may not know all of the lyrics, but you let that song rise. You let that song out. Let's sing together. Stop holding it back. You can sing because God has a plan for you. God has a future for you. Whether you're married or single, God has a plan. And I think that as a church, that if you're in a place today where you would say things are pretty much okay, things are going okay in your life, then this charge is for you to run after those who are struggling and putting your arm around them and saying, hey, listen, you're with me. I'm going to walk with you. I know that the past was rough, but we're going to walk through this together and discover the future that God is already working out for you. Maybe you're single today. Listen, listen to me. If you are single, you are not alone. This family of faith is your family of faith. We are your brothers and sisters. You are not a divorcee. You maybe went through a divorce, but you are not a divorcee. You're not a widow or a widower. You maybe have lost someone that was dearly close to you, but that is not who you are. You are a son of the Most High King. You are a daughter of the Most High King. Don't let anything else that's ever happened to you to try to claim your identity. And let us as a church walk with each other, reminding each other of what it looks like to be devoted, not walking in desperation, to live on mission and not wait for that next great thing to happen in our lives. This is what we're called to. This is what it looks like. Will you pray with me? With your eyes closed, I just want to, I just, I, I think that there may be some here today that God is calling you out, not calling you out to shame you or to ridicule you or to judge you. He's just calling you out. And he's saying, hey, I'm, I've been pursuing you for a long time. Maybe like the woman at the well. He's been trying to get your attention. And maybe today he finally got your attention. He's saying right now in this moment, he's saying, would you just trust me? Would you trust that I have good things for you? Would you trust that I have a good purpose and a strong plan 
for your life? Would you trust that I want to pour out my life in you so that you can bring life to the areas of darkness that you live in? And right now he's trying to get your attention to just get you to say, I trust you. Jesus, I trust you. Would you trust him today? Would you be willing to say to Jesus right now, Jesus, I I give you my life. I give you 100% of me. My hopes, my dreams, my failures, my excuses, I give you everything. I lay my life down for you. Show me how to live. Would you tell him that right now? If that's you, would you tell him that? You may be watching online today. Would you tell him that right now in this moment, Jesus, I trust you. And then begin to watch him transform your life and to give you life and bring you life so that you can take life to the rest of the world. God, we love you. We trust you. God, I know that there's a message like this that lands in a lot of different places for every single one of us, but I know that it means something to all of us. There are implications from what we've heard today. You are calling us out. So I pray for those that find themselves in a place of being single. Would you give them the contentment in that? Would you give them rest in that? Would you give them greater devotion and focus on you? Would you give them opportunities to live on mission for you? God, I pray for those that are married. God, would you do the same in us, in our homes, in our families, in the places that we spend our time? Would you cultivate something rich that continues to build your kingdom in this community and all around the world? I thank you today for those that have stepped into a relationship with you that are saying to you today for the very first time, Jesus, I trust you. And God, I pray that's what's happened here in this place and as we've been together today, would not stay here, but we would leave here linked arm in arm, living on purpose for you. We trust you. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Amen.